Okay, I've been having some issues with my voice, so hopefully it'll it'll, it'll hold up. And welcome to the first official episode of the Clinical Athletes Podcast. My first guest of the series is going to be Dwight Croning, a heart transplant from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Uh, Dwight is a good friend of mine and has done some pretty amazing things uh, over the course of his life. Uh, uh, specifically post-transplant. Welcome, Dwight. Well, it's a privilege for me, too, to be able to share with you and to to discuss a bit of my life as a transplant. Now, your uh, journey into athletics uh, starts from being a kid. You were fairly active as a young person? Yes. And since then, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your upbringing as a child, your your commitment to physical activity, um, how you took part in sports, basically just a, a big overview of how things uh, progressed with you as a kid up until your young adulthood. Well, I think primarily I had a fairly normal life. Um, of course, finished high school, went to university. Uh, during that time, I really loved sports, but that said, my my father encouraged me more to be a musician than to actually be a, a professional sports person. So basically, the scene was I'd sit at the piano, or in my case, on a violin with a violin in my hand, and looking out the window and, and playing the traditional da 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 and all the time thinking, man, I wish I was outside playing, uh, doing anything but practicing. So that was kind of my life when I was younger. And every chance I got, I would go out and I would play football or I would, uh, I would play with the, the kids in the neighborhood. And I'd play for hours and spend many hours after school whenever I could and after practicing uh, until it was time to come in for either supper or come in for the night. All right, so so pretty pretty active individual for the majority of your childhood, eh? Or tried to be as much as you could? Yes, and, and uh, when I went into university, I ended up going into the education phys ed program. So uh, I followed my love for sports through into my post-education. Uh, post ah, oh, excellent. So you've, uh, apart with being being interested in sports, it sounds like uh, from from being a young man, you had a, a good idea of the benefits of being physically active throughout your life. Well, I guess I probably didn't recognize that so much until I was actually taking courses in university uh, where, you know, there was a differentiation in terms of uh, the sports you teach in school between lifetime sports and, and sports that you would not be able to perform for a lifetime. So that's when I realized, I guess at that point, that a lifetime sport was, was an important aspect of a person's well-being. Uh, excellent. Excellent. Okay, so so uh, physically active uh, young man going to uh, university, graduating university, I assume getting your, your, your first job after university? Yes, um, I was fortunate to be able to find work in the teaching profession after I graduated. So, um, unfortunately, I ended up more in the classroom than in the gym, but I did certainly have opportunity to teach phys ed and to, and to uh, also do some coaching. Excellent. What kind of sports were you involved with coaching? 
uh, volleyball, basketball, um, a little bit of flag football. So the the typical high school, junior high sports. Gotcha. Soccer. Okay. Now, obviously, uh, being physically active uh, and then and then taking the next leap to, to requiring a heart transplant, there was likely some indication that something was going going on there. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about how, how it came to be that uh, you required the heart transplant? Well, I, I, I traced it back. It was actually, the transplant was due to what they call idiopathic cardiomyopathy, which just simply means idiot, you don't know where it came from. And so, uh, but what I figured was about three years prior to actually getting sick and recognizing something was wrong was I went for a swim in October. <laughs> and and this, was, this was at a school out in Vancouver. And it was pretty cold that day and we were uh, having a tug of war over a creek in October uh, for rights to a fridge of all things. And our dorm lost, and so we ended up going into the creek, and after that I got bronchitis. And it was from that that I think that the heart muscle itself got infected and uh, ended up slowly deteriorating over the course of about three years. Wow, okay. And and uh, so after after you went to go see the physician, what was uh, with these with these symptoms, what what um, what did he say? Well, prior, even prior to that, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't really recognize the decline. It was rather slow. Um, I just felt that I was getting weaker and, and I would get fatigued quicker when I was uh, out uh, water skiing or playing sports or doing other things. And so eventually it got to a point where I couldn't walk a flight of stairs without stopping to rest. And I just thought I had valley fever because at the time we were living in, in Phoenix and I was teaching in Phoenix for that year. So eventually it just got worse and worse. I started getting migraines and um, ended up going into the my general practitioner who finally diagnosed it through a uh, chest x-ray that showed the heart as double the size it was supposed to be. Wow. So it was at that point that he immediately sent me to emergency, and uh, there I met a couple of cardiologists that uh, did the assessment. So, so normally I'm thinking if my heart is double the size it, it, it should be, um, that's a good thing. But in the case of heart failure, that's obviously a pretty bad thing. <laughs> well, you know, that's interesting because uh, uh, when I came back from Vancouver to go in, to enter the University of Alberta, I had a physical done. And my the GP at that time uh, mentioned to me because they did a chest X-ray and he mentioned to me he said you have a, a, ver- a very large heart and I thought well that is good and I was, I was kind of proud of that fact because uh, that meant I was in good condition the heart muscle was was good and uh, I had a, a large stroke volume and but as it turned out it wasn't uh, due to uh, genetics or actual strength of the heart, it was due to actual weakness of the heart. So that was, in retrospect, looking back at that, I think was the first sign that there was something wrong. Okay. All right, so you, they said, um, the, the, the physician after the chest x-ray, the cardiologist say you're going to need a heart transplant. Uh, and, oh, no. Oh, no. 
Oh no, no. He just he just said uh, go directly to the hospital. I've already contacted emergency. Let them know you're coming. Don't go home. And uh, that was actually the last conversation I had with my physician at that time. Okay. So uh, what happened upon arriving at the hospital? Now, there are two cardiologists that met me. They, they immediately started doing assessment. And um, the next morning they came in with their, their diagnosis. And uh, between the two of them, I think it was a, a good cop, bad cop kind of situation or good doctor, bad doctor situation where the one would give me the bad news and the other would give me the good news. So the good news was that, you know, they could stabilize me and I might be okay. The heart could pro- might work for maybe a few years. Uh, the bad news doctor said, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't give you a year to live. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to stabilize you and send you home. And their words were, quote, uh, to make preparations. Wow. And uh... so that, yeah, that was a that was a bit disconcerting, to say the least. And um, and their their communication to me was that there was no hope that basically there was no no way for them to correct or for anyone to, to fix the issue. Uh, there was no amount of uh, rehabilitation, exercise, drugs, anything like that that, uh, that could be done to, to, to heal me or to correct the heart. So I figured, well, maybe it was a mistake. It must have been a mistake because maybe they just got the x-rays mixed up or something like that. But uh, eventually, I came to accept the fact that uh, this was this was the state of affairs, and, and that's just that was going to be my life for the next year or however long I had left. All right, and then during this time, you're you're not being active at all. Yeah, I assume you're 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 I won't say in bed, but but certainly around the house, not getting much done. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not the way I roll, I guess you could say. Um, once they had me stabilized, which meant uh, getting rid of all the, the fluid in my lungs and, and uh, getting me up and walking again, um, I, I started doing some of my regular activity again. So I would, I would still go golfing. I would still go skiing. Um, I just couldn't go for long periods of time. I would have to sit in the cart after a walk for a bit, or I'd have to stop skiing and sit in the boat for a while or whatever. But eventually it did get to the point where I couldn't, uh, I was fatigued just sitting at the table eating or just brushing my teeth and combing my hair. I had to sit down. Wow. So that, that was kind of the point at which I realized, you know, this is not looking good. Okay, so at this point, uh, you kind of, uh, I, I guess, kind of a, a decision had been made to, to get you on the heart transplant list. That, that was a bit of a process, and um, it, it took some thought. We, we weren't even advised that that was an option uh, by the cardiologists at the hospital. They, 
they, they were almost hesitant or didn't want to say anything about it. But after about three days of being in the hospital, they came back and said, you know, you may want to consider going down to Tucson where there's a, a transplant program. And back in 1986, uh, up until that statement, up until that time, I wasn't even aware that that was an option, that, that was even happening in the medical field. So it was completely brand new. The program in Tucson was new. It was, well, it had been functioning for about five years with, with about 95 transplants at the time. So this was something that we really had to think about because we had, we were completely ignorant and clueless as to what that would involve, what that looked like. So they said, well, maybe you should go down and check it out. And so we decided, Colleen and I, my wife, the wife uh, for three years, um, decided, okay, yeah, let's make a trip down to Tucson. And that's where we, we met the, the people uh, in the program there and talked with them about what does a heart transplant involve? Uh, what does it look like in terms of uh, longevity and mortality? And then what would I be able to do after a transplant? Because I said to them, I said, if I can't do the same things I've done prior to, if I can't be active, and active for me maybe was different by definition than what they thought active might be. Um, I said, I don't, I don't think I want to do this. And so they, uh, they showed me a number of pictures of people who had had a transplant and one guy in particular who was doing sprint triathlons. And I thought, well, that's, that's pretty incredible. If uh, he can do that, I'm sure I could manage that after a transplant, assuming everything goes well. So that's when we started thinking seriously about uh, entering the program. Okay. So let's jump to um, so so uh, we uh, you 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 decided to go ahead with the program and uh, thought that it would probably be uh, a better decision than to to sit sit around with a heart failure. So um, you 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 go into the hospital um, or they I guess you're on the wait list. They call you up. They say we have a heart for you. Come on in and uh, let's let's hear. Uh, you wake up after the heart transplant. How does it feel? Well, first of all, that sounds kind of simple. <laughs> you just you just say, yeah, I want to be on the program, and uh, they give you a call, and you go in, and you have an operation. Uh, it's not quite that simple. We won't. I won't go into all the details about candidacy and qualifying and making sure that uh, you're you're good to go. Um, we went through all of that, which took probably about two months. Then. Um, just prior, in that two-month period of time, they did an assessment on the heart itself, uh, did a MUGA scan, and what that does is it tells you exactly uh, how much the, the heart is pumping and uh, what the volume of blood is that it's putting out. And mine was at about 8% of the, the normal capacity. So it was pretty low, and at that point, they then calculated the number of days you have remaining before you need to have the transplant or you die. And that was the time given to me was two months. And so in about a month and a half, I was finally put on the list. 
and uh, within two weeks I had the call. Actually, the first week, the weekend of the, after the first week of being on the list, I got a call, but within probably about five minutes after the call, they told me, oh, false alarm, the heart's no good. So then I waited another week and got another call. It was at 1 a.m. on a Monday morning. And uh, they said, we think we have a heart for you. There's no rush to get down here to Tucson, so drive down, don't hurry. And they said, we're not going to send the jet because the heart is local. So I knew that the heart was coming from either Tucson or from Phoenix. So uh, we're local to that area. So we hopped in the car, drove down to Tucson where they were waiting, prepped me, and uh, within about an hour and a half, I was in the operating room. Wow. Okay. And uh, so, so you you go in again, go through the <laughs> the painful process of, of 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 getting the heart, but but you you receive the heart. Um, unfortunately, someone has to. Uh, to, to, to not need their heart for you to get one mm-hmm. and uh, and you wake up in the morning and and does it I assume you're you're medicated and, and you're tired but do you, how does it feel waking up with a, a now better functioning heart than the one you had in before well actually waking up was a bit of a an odd experience um, after the, after they did the surgery, I was still under the anesthetic, still out, and apparent. Uh, I heard I, I didn't come out of the anesthetic and come out of it until I think it was about three days later. And the reason for that was that one of the sutures slipped, and so they had to go back in, open me back up, uh, repair the the suture, fix it so I wasn't bleeding, and then close me back up. So I have a very uh, obvious scar in the chest area because of that but three days later the first thing i remember was hearing somebody faintly say dwight can you move your fingers and i had to think about that actually because the reason they do that is see if you have any brain uh, damage and so i I had to think about that and i I couldn't do it right away (laughs) It was really weird because I, I knew what I needed to do, but I almost it's like I couldn't get the signal to the fingers to actually move them. But eventually, I moved my fingers, and then he, he said, uh, "Can you move your toes?" And again, there was a long pause, and then eventually, I moved my toes. And so it was from that point forward then that I came out of the anesthetic. Um, eventually, they were able to remove the tubes and and all the lines, and I think it was probably within four days. Most of that had been removed other than the IVs, and I was able to get up and start walking. Wow. Okay. So walking and uh, to the to the next step. So I had I had alluded at the beginning of our, our discussion that um, that you've done some pretty amazing things as a heart transplant recipient and and as an athlete in general. One of the uh, one of the I think one of the great contributions you've made to the transplant world is you're the first heart transplant recipient to complete an Ironman triathlon. So it's it, probably going to be a long question. I'll have some 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 questions within this question, but but uh, take us through your your journey from 
getting out of that bed, walking across the room to, in 2008, um, completing an Ironman triathlon in, in Penticton, British Columbia. Yeah, well, we're, we're talking, so 1986 to 2008, that's, what, 20, 22 years? So 22 years until that point, and then prior to the Ironman, probably another what, year and a half, two years prior, when I first started doing triathlon. So going back over those years, uh, some of the hurdles I think I had to had to deal with in my life physically as a result of transplant were uh, issues around the heart, the fact that the heart doesn't have any nerve connection, so it's operating completely differently than a native heart, and having to deal with some of those challenges. And um, so when I, after the transplant, uh, when I was able to, you know, actually get out of the hospital, um, I gone. I was going through physiotherapy there, and uh, work up there. So I lived in Tucson for three months, and then I would, I couldn't drive, so I had to find another way into the hospital. So I, I had my bike. I'd ride six miles to the hospital for physio. Um, they didn't really like to to have me running right away, but they allowed me to run on the treadmill, and then I worked myself on the bike there and then I would ride back home uh, to the apartment that I was staying in. And eventually it got to where I didn't have to go to physio anymore, so instead I would I'd ride in for my checkups, and then I would work out at the uh, University of Tucson, and I would run there, and then I would ride back to the apartment, and they had a pool there, a short pool, uh, and I would swim in the pool. So by the end of three months, I was I was pretty active already, um, and then I, I was allowed to move back to Phoenix. Right. You mentioned something really interesting there. Uh, so when when the heart is uh, when a new heart is put in, the old heart is removed, and they cut the nerves to the heart. So as a mm-hmm. result, um, you, your heart rate doesn't speed up like a a, a, a normally innervated heart would. You 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 start to exercise, and and for for me. Um, my heart rate would almost immediately start to increase to the rate that was required to, to supply enough blood to the muscles. But for the heart transplants, that's that's not the case. So did you did you notice that off the bat that you weren't getting that increase in, in heart rate when you started to become physically active? And 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 um, did did it affect your training or how the activities you you decided to do? Yes. Uh, short answer is no. I didn't recognize that understand that prior to the transplant I was, I was I was pretty weak and so even the fact that I could climb a flight of stairs without being too out of breath after the transplant was was remarkable was a, was a good thing and so when I was in Tucson you know I was doing mostly aerobic activity so my heart was given a chance to pick up when it required a when my muscles required greater demand. However, when I got to Phoenix and I wanted to get back into playing sports, basketball and, and, and things like that, anything anaerobic, I started recognizing that I couldn't do it. I would run up and down the court a couple of times and then I'd have to rest. 
and uh, this wasn't normal as far as what I saw with other people. So that's when I went back to clinic in Tucson and I said to them, you know, there's something wrong here. Like you said that I'd be able to do the things I wanted to do or could do before the transplant, and now I can't. I said, it's broken like it doesn't work. And uh, they, they told me, honestly, they said, you're never going to be able to do those activities again. That's not how your heart works now. And that was the first I learned that, you know, there was no nerve connection. It all worked off of hormone balance. So then I had to decide, okay, am I going to just give up? Am I not going to play the sports I love because they're anaerobic in nature? And then do I just go to aerobic? And I decided, forget that. I'm going to, I'm going to continue to play the sports as best I can. And that's what I've done. That's what I did for those 22 years, and I've done ever since. Oh, so awesome! And and so now you've uh, you've 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 started to get back physically active. Uh, you mentioned that uh, about a, a year and a half before the Ironman, you started to get into triathlon. So what what got you into the the triathlon scene? Um. Well, I guess back in, in the back of my mind was still this guy that was a transplant that did triathlons. And interesting sideline here was that he lives in uh, uh, he lives in in California there, and uh, where they have they have the um, oh my mind's trying to blank where they have the escape from Alcatraz right right. And, and so he, he's the guy that was doing the, the triathlons, and he also would run his own teams with the Escape from Alcatraz triathlon. And so he had a, he was a heart transplant, he had a couple of kidney transplants that would do these events with him. And so in the back of my mind, I, I, I often thought about triathlon, but I never did actually go down that route of, uh, of learning or, or starting to train for one. And it wasn't until a fellow by the name of Dr. Mark Haitowski at the University of Alberta gave me a call one day and invited me to be part of an exercise study. And, and so you think, well, what does that have to do with triathlon? Well, there was this guy who was an undergraduate working with uh, Dr. Haitowski, and he was helping with the study. And when Dr. Ikowski approached me, I, he said, oh, by the way, there's this guy who is helping me, and he's a triathlete. And so it came to mind right away that, hey, if I do this study, then maybe I can get this guy, Dr. Ken Reese, to, uh, to train me. And so that was the whole point of doing the study. The, the study really, for me, had nothing to do with uh, giving them statistics or giving them data on transplants and exercise. It was more about, let's just get this study done and let's get on to training for a triathlon. So that's how that happened. Interesting, yeah. And, and, and thanks for uh, thanks for building me up there a, a little bit. I appreciate that. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, and I remember, you know, this is one of the first studies I, I had done with Mark. 
And, uh, you know, the majority of heart transplant recipients that we saw come through the study that I saw were, were well, one, they're all fairly keen on exercise. So for the most part, they were, they were physically active. But then, you know, Dwight Cronin comes in and, and uh, you know, Mark had, like Mark had built me up to you, Mark had built you up to me. And he's all, well, you know what, this guy, he's, I think he's going to do an Ironman, Ken. I think, I think we can train him and I think we, he can do an Ironman and, and he'll be the first one to ever do it. And, he, um, and uh, so, so I, I was pretty excited to, to meet you and then seeing that what you could do. And, and the study was brutal, wasn't it? I mean, we had you doing 30 second mm-hmm. sprints with 90 seconds rest 20 times, um, all out sprints. It was. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, that was the hard part. The last two weeks, I think it was like 16 hours of that stuff. Um, but you, you talked about, you know, maybe you had in mind that maybe I could do an Ironman. I, that had not even crossed my mind. Like at that point, it was just yeah. Let's do. Let's try a triathlon. See see what that looks like. And it started with a sprint, right? So yeah. No, but you're right. The study itself, uh, up until the last two weeks, um, it was. I think you're bringing me in every three times a week, uh, or was it every day? I think for 16 weeks total was the study, and. Uh, you know, there's a combination of riding the bike, running on the treadmill, and doing weights. And, you know, that was fine. I had no issue with that, but it was when we got to the intervals that uh, then I, I started to recognize exactly what it would take to to train at a high intensity. Right, right. Yeah, boy. Those memories are flooding back to you, uh, to, to to you and, and a couple, and, well, all the others sprinting on on that exercise bike. It was uh, it was it was it was a neat time. So you finish the study, and uh, and and me and you decide that uh, we're going to see what 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 it would look like to to get you into uh, and complete an Ironman event. So uh, tell us about your your training from from that point on. What how do you, and do you think that your training that you did and, and the condition that you had uh, with the heart transplant changed your training dramatically from, from other individuals that, that have their native hearts in place? Um, I know, I guess that, that was a question I had right from the start, even during the exercise study, because towards the end, I asked Mark, Dr. Ikowski, I asked him, I said, so what are you going to do with this data when you publish it? And he said, well, I'm just going to publish it. I'm just going to write it up. And, and people want to look at it or read it, they can. And I said, but, but that's not going to help the transplant community. That's not going to help the, the heart transplant community. Like, they need to be encouraged. They need to see this information and the benefits of exercise. Because one of the biggest issues that, that come out of a heart transplant, many of the recipients, is that they'll do the rehab for, what is it, three months after a transplant, and some of them don't even complete that. And then they never really exercise again. And uh, Dr. Hikowski, I said, you know, you got to do something with this. And since then, he's, he's been traveling with his data. and and doing seminars and and lectures, so that's been good. But it it was disconcerting to me to know that so many transplants would uh, not take advantage of the new life that they were given. 
And for me, it was a matter of also paying respect to the, the family of the donor and to the donor itself. So I felt obligated, I felt responsible for exercising, continuing to stay fit after, after the study and after the transplant. Um, so going back to your original question, <laughs> which was what? Oh, uh, so so th- did your training for the Ironman, did it seem, do you think it was, it was much different than uh, other individuals who have their native hearts right. doing the, the Ironman or training for triathlon? Okay. Yeah, so in comparison, um, I didn't think about that much. Actually, I didn't think about that at all. I just thought, you know, I need to work at this. I need to do what my coach is telling me to. He's got a program. He's got a process that has proven to work, and I need to do that. And I I think the thing I appreciated most about you, and, and Mark was included because he was constantly encouraging and doing the VO2s and you were doing the VO2s and all of that um, was that you didn't let me make excuses like there was you didn't even give me excuses like it was you need to do this this is this is the protocol this is the process and if you apply yourself and, and do this then you'll be successful and if I complained about being tired or if I complained about other things it was yeah, well, you know, just buckle down and and, and, and do it. Right? There were no excuses, so that was good. And so when I when I trained, I don't know as far as I know, it was the same that training program as anybody else with a native heart could get. Yeah, indeed, indeed, very similar. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, there was no, uh, there, there's no shortcuts to. To competing in an Ironman, is there? If, if you want to do it, you've you've got to you've got to do the work. Um, interesting. You mentioned yeah. uh, you mentioned the the VO two max testing that we did on you, and uh, I think yeah. uh, at the time, at least, you were probably the most uh, tested heart transplant recipient with regards to VO two maxes. I seem to think we we probably did one on you every couple months just to just out of interest sake to see how things were going. And yeah. during that time. Um, we found uh, and and uh, and subsequently published uh, a paper on you, um, highlighting the fact that you were the the most fit heart transplant that had been tested at that time. Uh, do you remember what your VO2 max was at that time? Uh, after the interval training uh, with the study, it was uh, fifty nine. Fifty nine. That's right. We just couldn't crack sixty, could we? No. <laughs> No, and I, I was very dis- disappointed and discouraged, almost depressed. And so Mark said, okay, okay, so you did 60. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember the subsequent tests and, uh, you know, we'd pull off a, a, a 53 or a 55. I think you had a few in the 50s there. And um, yeah. And, uh, and, yeah. And, and, and you would be so down. And we're like, okay, well anybody at you know at your age you were i think at the time you were in your 50s were you or just uh when i did the ironman i was 48 okay mid 40s sure Uh, for any mid 40 year old to have a vo2 in in the 50s was 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 pretty there weren't many of them around much much like there are are now so to you know in the 50s was was certainly um an elite kind of effort one of the other things you mentioned with regards to that uh, and going back to to the heart being um, 
losing its innervation with the, with the surgery is when we did those heart mm-hmm. tra- when we did those uh, VO2 max tests, your heart actually responded like a, a a native heart. There was no blunted heart rate response at all. Your heart rate climbed. You, you would be hard pressed to tell the difference between um, your heart rate profile with a graded exercise test than um, than, than an individual who hadn't had a heart transplant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so pretty pretty amazing stuff. So let's let's talk about uh, your your Ironman experience itself. There, so you decided to compete in in the Penticton Ironman in two thousand and eight, uh, and and Mark and I went out there. Of course, we wanted to be part of it. We wanted to watch and see what happened. But but yeah, take a couple minutes and just uh, guide us through your your race day story. I know it's been a few years since then, but uh, so perhaps the 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 most important highlights are the ones that are sticking with you now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the things I remember uh, was initially, you know, we're we're out there on the weekend, and um, on the Saturday prior to the race, I figured, well, it might be a good idea if I if I get into the water and do a bit of swimming. So I I put on a wetsuit and I got into the water and immediately uh, lost my breath. The water was really cold. And I think the thing I hated most about doing triathlon of the three events was the swim because I would get cold. And when I got into that water and I started to swim, my face actually started to freeze. And I thought, this is not going to be good. I've got to spend, uh, I've got to swim 3.8 kilometers tomorrow in this freezing water. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to make it because I'm just going to be frozen. So that was my first thought and my first thinking back. And then on the day of the race, I was very stressed because I got to, my Colleen drove me to the race and I was getting prepared and I realized I left my bib and a number of things back at, at where we were staying. So Colleen had to race back there, grab my stuff and bring it back for me. So right off the bat, it was stressful. Um, this swim, once once we were all settled in, they had given me a number, number 79, and a white a white swim cap, which which uh, shows that you know you're, you're you're somewhat of a novice, and when you're in the water, uh, you have a unique color of cap, so they they, they tend to watch you a little more closely. Um, but the swim itself felt pretty good going out. Coming back, I was cold. And by the time I got out of the lake, you know what it's like, Ken, probably after the swim, you're trying to get your legs under you just to get back up on your feet after the swim. And then you got to get into the transition area to get changed. So I, I managed to get my legs under me, get through and into the transition area into the tent to change and that's where you know I just start to shake because I'm so cold and you made the comment after after the race you made the comment wow it sure took you a long time to get out of transition didn't it we got to keep things light yeah I was I was shaking so much I could hardly get into my my riding gear and but eventually I think it took 20 minutes for me just to get through transition and out onto the bike Um, the bike itself you know you and you and Mark were great as far as encouragers were concerned because you'd you'd go ahead and you'd be cheering me on at different points, and so throughout the race, 
throughout the bike in particular, you were at different stations and points to cheer me. It, I think I felt like it took forever for me to get to the halfway point where you had your what do you call it, your survival bag or whatever of stuff to eat. Yeah, your special needs. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I had I had a whole bunch of stuff in there, and I couldn't eat a single thing. <laughs> I don't know if I ate part of a chocolate bar or if I ate what, it, what I don't even know because most of it got left, if not all of it, because I, I just felt so sick and tired. So I figured, you know, once I got there, I thought, well, it seemed to take me forever to get here. It's going to take forever to get back to transition for the run. And uh, it was on the way back that uh, as we were coming up, I think it's called Yellowhead, Yellow Moon. Uh, Yellow Lake. Yellow Lake Pass. As I was coming to the top, you and Mark were there. And you you made a comment to me. You said, you've got this, as you're driving by with the car window down, you've got this. You said, uh, you can you can get to transition. It's all downhill from here. You can get to transition, and you can walk the marathon and still make it. And it was that comment that I thought that gave me encouragement and said to me, you know, I can do this. If I have to walk the marathon, I can do this. And so uh, I got down there, got changed, got into my running gear. The first half of the run, I felt pretty good, not too bad. But coming back, that last 21 kilometers was just brutal. Uh, I would run, I would actually mark out uh, telephone poles, and I would run to a telephone pole or a light pole, and then I'd walk to the next one, run to the next one, walk to the next one. So. It, it took a while, but eventually we got through it, and you and Mark again were along the way and stopping at every um, every aid station and having them cheer me on. And so, yeah, I think that that's really what carried me through. Awesome. And then you turn that you you do that last long stretch running down Lakeshore Drive towards the finish line, and they're yeah. announcing you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they they had I was I guess the um, they used me for the video for the Ironman that year, and so they were videoing me every once in a while on the route uh, from their motorcycle, and uh, I just remember on the way along Lakeshore Drive there that I was struggling just to you know even do a, a slow jog. And uh, saying to them, you know, that this was really, this was really hard, and uh, and then crossing the finish line, of course, was, was a pretty incredible experience. I do, uh, you know, as you are aware, both, uh, you know, we had a different kind of video camera back then that we have now, but I took some videos of you along the way as well, and I'll I'll post those on the on the website when I get it up and running, and and your finishing sequence as well. It was it was a pretty exciting day all uh, all in all, and and I think. Uh, you know, there there had been heart transplant recipients who had tried to compete the Ironman, complete the Ironman uh, before you, but um, uh, and, and just as a testament to, to how difficult it is uh, to undergo the heart transplant mm-hmm. surgery, and and uh, and and you being, you know, I think you were twenty twenty years, eighteen years post transplant when you. 22 years post-transplant when you did uh, did the Ironman. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and still, when you, when you think the, you know, the majority of people who receive heart transplants uh, 
don't survive past 10 years. And, and after 20 years, you're, you're oh, more than 20 years, you're doing mm-hmm. an Ironman. Just, just an amazing, amazing feat. Um, yeah. yeah, Dwight, I want to thank you for uh, telling us your, your story on, on, our, uh, on our podcast here. It's, it's pretty amazing, and, and it, it, it sure stirs up some, some awesome memories for me. Uh, and uh, I have a question for my, uh, my guests on the podcast. Um, and I try not trying to catch you off guard, but you know, you know, you're 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 an athlete. You you still work out. Is there any place in the world? And this is probably probably even more topical now with COVID and us and us not being able to leave our basements or our houses. Uh, is there any place in the world that you would love to go and train? Well, I did take a I did take a bike tour in Croatia so then Croatia is an interesting place because of the islands and that sort of thing uh, I suppose that would be a location that I would enjoy going back to um, although it does get kind of warm there so <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know it's 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 really tough I've been to South America I've been to Europe uh, uh, and there's really no place like home at least in the summertime it's not too hot, not too cold, and it's a, it's a great place to train. Uh-huh. Uh, if I were to pick any place, it would probably be Oregon, actually. Oregon seems to be the, uh, the climate year-round that would be suitable for training. So, yeah, I think I would go back to Oregon. I spent a few years there, and, and I love the country, or I love the, the state. And so, yeah, wouldn't mind doing some training down there, especially along the coast. Excellent. Okay. Well, we'll book a vacation down there, uh, the, the yeah. four of us, and we'll, we'll head down and, and do some serious training down there as soon as we can. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Dwight. Yeah. I do oh. want to say, I do want to say though, that, uh, I do want to give a uh, note to, to my donor, donor family and the importance of uh, signing your donor cards and as well as letting your family know uh, we still have a long way to go in terms of donations, organ donations. So there are lots of people that are, that do not make it to the actual transplant. And uh, that's because there just simply aren't enough organs available. So um, I'm grateful for that and encourage everybody to, to sign their donor card and let their family know. Excellent. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. I And uh, certainly something that, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've spoken with my family as well. And, and all of us in our family, um, we, we have made it clear that that should something happen, we're more than happy to, to donate our organs. I like to say mm-hmm. sometimes that um, I, I actually want to get a shirt made up. Uh, with with that, you know the, the exercise that most of us do is is you know I am I am taking the care of these organs in case someone else needs yeah. them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. thanks for that and and a great, great. message uh, for sure. Uh, thanks again, mm-hmm. Dwight. Is there any any um, closing comments you'd like to make? No, as as we were talking about the Ironman experience, you know I think training is important. Yes, and I think you said that that training is maybe about 60% of what's needed to do an Ironman. And um, I agree with that 100%. I think the rest is mental. The rest is, you know, just having the encouragement along the way like I had and having the mental capacity and strength to be able to do that. Um, People have said to me who have been heart transplant recipients have said, oh, well, I couldn't do what you do. And so they just completely 
disregard exercise and fitness almost altogether because, oh, well, I can't do what you do. Well, yeah, you can. And you said to me once, you said, you know, if you want to do it, you can. And I, I remembered that statement. And that's why I continue to, to work as best I can in my training to be able to accomplish some of these things. So Awesome. I, I wow, I've, I've imparted a, a lot of insightful bits of wisdom into your training. I'm, I feel kind of yeah, happy about that. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, things like if you don't feel like doing something today, do a little bit. Like always do something. Yeah. <laughs> those sorts of little statements stick with, you know, those who you have trained. And they carry that with them wherever they go. Yeah, I like to think the, the best one I gave you was after you did your half Ironman. I said, well, if you can do a half, you can do a whole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that one too. <laughs> if you can do a half, you can do a whole. And I, dummy me, I said, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good <laughs> makes, idea. Makes good sense to me. <laughs> All right. Great, yeah, Dwight. Thank funny. you very much. And right, we'll, thanks, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stay in touch. We'll chat soon. No, All right, take care. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Interesting. Literally from death's bed to completing a, an Ironman competition. And in fact, the first uh, person with a heart transplant to do such a fantastic feat. My next guest in season one, episode three, is going to be Derek Fitzgerald, another heart transplant recipient who has done several different Ironman competitions, completed several different ones, including the Kona Ironman World Championships. Yeah.